the QMC Board and Collar Series for EMS Professionals welcomes you to Excuse My Medic, the podcast version of an MCI with Gary Harvat, Chuck Humphrey, and Ed Marasco. Excuse My Medic takes a unique look at today's emergency medical service with news and information, opinionated discussions, lively talk, sporadic jabs, and even a few belly laughs from our world of emergency medical services. Excuse My Medic is brought to you by Quick Med Claims, a national leader in emergency medical service revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting. Now, hang on to the bench seat and tighten your lap belt as these old guys from EMS Past take you on a Code 3 ride without touching the brakes. You've had the disclaimer, and if you're still brave enough to stick it out, let's get started. Take it away, guys. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Excuse My Medic, and I might add, the holiday edition. Uh, Sadly, you folks can't see us, or maybe not so much sadly, but we've all got our holiday garb on, and we're looking good and getting prepared for the the big Christmas holiday next week. But joining me today, of course, my two esteemed colleagues, Chuck Humphrey from up in our Danville, Pennsylvania office. Hey, Chuck. Hey, how, how's everybody doing? We're digging out from a foot of snow, but we're here. Oh, great. My goodness gracious. Yeah, we got blasted pretty good this week, didn't we? That's for sure. So, for sure. and across the hall and down the way from me is also uh, my great friend, Ed Marasco. Ed, welcome. Hey, Gary, how are you today? I hope you guys out there are doing well. And, and Chuck, I have a confession to make. I ran the snowblower twice the other night. And when I came, I had to come to work early yesterday morning. And yeah. so when I got home last night, my bl- lovely wife had run the snowblower again and got the driveway all cleaned out. It was fantastic. Wow, that is a lovely wife. And I think I told you guys, didn't I, about my snowblower story? You think I should share that? Oh, absolutely. Oh, so so several years ago, probably this is more like five, six, ten years ago. I can't honestly remember. Uh, the whole family pitched in, and for Christmas, I I had a little box about this big, not very big, a kind of a twelve by twelve box. And I opened it up and there was a picture of a snowblower inside and they had gone out and bought me a, a snowblower, but it hadn't been delivered yet because of course I would have seen it. Well, I didn't really want a snowblower. <laughs> so I, I politely said, I don't think our winters are that bad that oh. you, I really need a snowblower. And they're like, dad and my wife was like, Gary, you gotta be kidding. Like you, you can't, our, we have this big long driveway. I was like, no, it's good exercise for me. My my one said, Dad, you're, we're going to find you out there. <laughs> so I, so I, I guess I put up enough fuss. We returned to snowblower. And uh, every time the snow flies, just like it did on, uh, on uh, Wednesday of this week, uh, they make me relive the story of returning the snowblower. So it's... Uh, well, it's you one say of those that stories that'll probably go with me to the grave. But um, you say that my father, in serious note, did fall yesterday um, and wound up on his knees and couldn't get back up. So uh, um, my um, stepmother is bumping up his snowblower, and he's about to get a bigger one. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just not, he needs one that's a little more hutzpah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I'm gonna probably succumb and and. Uh, if the winters keep up being bad, like I know we've got away with it pretty good here in the Northeast the last couple of years, but uh, 
uh, here we are in December and uh, it's already starting. So well, it's 2020. Did you expect anything else? It's a wonder that we did have a snowfall in September. I mean, seriously. Yeah, <laughs> that's the truth. Well, well, folks, we have a lot to cover today and we uh, thank you for, for tuning in. Uh, we always enjoy doing these programs for you, but a lot of things happening. And uh, again, it is 2020 and we do have news on the uh, COVID front that we'd like to share with you as well as some information, updated information on uh, the uh, compromise that's out there on the surprise ambulance billing. So I'm going to start off with Chuck and we'll cover the COVID stuff first. And Chuck, thanks for joining us and uh, appreciate any insight you can bring us uh, today as it relates yeah. to the vaccine. Well, thanks to you. Appreciate it. First off, before I get into the vaccine, I just want to remind everybody, if you applied for tranche three of the Provider Relief Fund CARES Act money, uh, check your bank account. So that money started going out. Um, so those municipals, you know, City Hall might be calling saying, what's this money that we received? Um, it's not a given if you applied. Just remember that. Uh, nothing you have, may have done correct or wrong or, you know, incorrect um, simply was based on whether you were able to demonstrate that you had further need, uh, especially for those of you that uh, received at least 2% of your 2019 uh, total billable revenue. So uh, go out and look for that if you applied. Uh, hopefully Santa came early for some of you. Okay, so let's talk about the vaccine. So um, we uh, yesterday we rolled out a webinar. Uh, so that uh, I believe Gary will soon be up uh, recording on podcast. We'll make note of it again here. Um, so uh, that was a great session. Uh, we got very much in the weeds. I won't get quite as granular today, but let's just do a quick overview. So for those of you that weren't part of um, uh, yesterday's uh, 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 session, um, let's just take a quick hit. So before you get anywhere close to Billy, okay, um, I want to call your attention to the fact that you have some steps that you have to take and you need to start doing that right away. All right. If you're going to be a mass immunizer and many of you are being deputized into this. Um, so if you're going to be that mass immunizer, you want to make sure that you're starting to talk about your scope of practice. Okay. Um, so um, you need to look at your state and regional protocol and who in your organization can do it. Okay. Who is available to give. Now I give you an example, uh, Gary and Ed, um, you and I know um, in Texas, Texas allows their um, individual medical directors to make the decisions about who can do what. Uh, here in Pennsylvania, for the vaccine part of it, if it's outside of our norm, only the, uh, the EMTPs and the AEMTs are able to do the vaccine. So know who can do it. The second part of it is um, connect with your public health people in your community. Because um, the rollout of the vaccine, just simply, can you get it? And then if you get it, remember, this thing has to be like literally stored in Siberia. So it's going to move with um, dry ice at like, I don't know, it's something like 90 degrees negative Celsius Fahrenheit. I, I, I didn't catch the, 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 the standard of measure, but it's cold. <laughs> and when you open it, then it has to go into cold storage. And then you have a small window of time of e efficacy of the vaccine before it's got to get in somebody's arm. Um, so 
you got to start thinking about, will I be able to get it? And then if I'm able to get it, will I be able to store it? And if I'm able to store it, am I going to be able to roll it out and have the facilities available that I can keep everybody social distance and get them through the line? And then what's happened, uh, as you well know, listening to the news, um, as um, we're learning that this can cause some reactions. In fact, I'm <laughs> well aware of it because I went to sign up last night with my local EMS uh, through the health system to get the uh, vaccine and was put on hold because I was asked to go visit my PCP first because I have a history quite some time ago of a pretty severe anaphylactic reaction to a food element. So um, they're now monitoring people. So it's not just going to be you can line them up, bing, bing in the arm and go. Now we're going to have to monitor most people for about 15 to 30 minutes. So now you got a time frame involved. Okay. So make sure that you start thinking all that through. Um, and then once you've decided, all right, we're going to throw the switch or we're being forced to throw the switch or whatever, um, then you're going to have to enroll with the CDC as a mass immunizer. Now, this will um, take place online. Um, there is a web uh, site. You can go to CDC. Quite frankly, guys, if anybody just searches, there's a Google search on COVID-19 vaccines for EMS or ambulance COVID-19 vaccines. You're going to bring most of this stuff up. But CDC.gov. We'll have the information there. Uh, everything is pointing, obviously, right now because it's a, a quick hit topic. Um, so you don't want to go there and you're going to have to have some information ready. Um, you're going to have to have your legal business name, your tax ID number. You're going to have to have your principal officials, your location. Uh, and then you're going to have to answer some questions about, uh, at, at, and I can't say it, an attestation statement that you're going to have to sign off on that verifies that you have the storage capabilities. You know, um, I think you have to upload a certificate, you know, so that's the part, all of that has to go on first. And then you should really sit down with your decision makers in your organization and say, okay, in the midst of everything that we're doing, I talked to an ambulance service uh, this morning in the Buffalo area. And he was telling me that they cut some shifts because things were a little slow and now because of this spike, they were just schwacked the last two days. So now he's got to bring people back quick. So think about, do you have people infected? Are you already paying overtime? Like, is this going to pay you on an ROI to do it? And I, you know, I'm not trying to discourage you folks because uh, I'm all, this is time for EMS to shine. Who's the most mobile healthcare providers in the world, but us. And many of us have these capabilities, ambulance, buses. We have uh, mobile integrated health people. You know, you can pull people from, but you got to think, can I suck up that overtime? Am I going to make enough back to pay for that? Uh, do I have the staff period that I'm going to take a response truck off the street in order to do this? Because they can't be doing inoculations and then say, oh, wait, guys, got to go run a call. Hang on. I'll be back in an hour because by that time, the vaccine's going to lose its potency and it's going to be, it's going to be expired. So there's a lot of things for you guys to think about before you get that place, but okay. So uh, back up you have done your CDC thing. You've made your decision. You've talked with the public health officials. You have the framework in place. Now you're going to think about billing. So first of all, we're not billing for the vaccine. Let's make that clear. The vaccine is being purchased by the federal government. In fact, right now on the floor of Congress, they're debating the latest stimulus. Um, aside from whether we're going to get $600 in our pocket, $1,200 in our pocket, zero benefits, whatever the case may be, 
um, there is money allotted to pay for these vaccines. And that's a lot of that 900 to 1.2 billion billion dollars that's being considered right now is for that. So that's being covered. What you're going to get paid for is the administration. Okay. So um, there is a first round administration that's going to pay out at just south of $17. And that'll be adjusted regionally uh, by something we call the GYPSI or the GPCI, the Geographic Practice Cost Index. Um, <clears throat> the second round is a little more because they're building in a little more wait time. And that's $28 and change, just south of 29. So that's what you can count on. Now, um, you are only going to get temporary privileges from CMS to do this. So considering the cost, considering the payback, you're going to have to register as a different type of Medicare provider. Now, I'm going to talk to you about Medicare because that's the first registration process, okay? So you right now, as an ambulance, unless you're connected to a hospital system, are what we call a type 59 provider. You're billing for transportation, okay? You're going to enroll for this program as a type 73 provider, and that's so you can do what's called roster billing. You've been given a special dispensation during this public health emergency by the feds because they want to roll out as many vaccination sites as possible. That's only temporary until the end of the PHE. Now, we fully anticipate that this is going to be a revaccination process. We were just talking about that before we went on air. Uh, Ed's wife is uh, a health practitioner. And she's telling us right now, best case scenario, because we really don't know yet, is maybe this thing will last three months. We hope it's at least six, and it could be as much as two years. But that'll be remaining to be seen. But there's going to be re-inoculations. So given that, you might want to then enroll as a permanent, and that will involve a full enrollment if the government extends our abilities under the PREP Act in order to give us immunity. Um, so there's things to consider. So now you've uh, gone on, you actually will call uh, your Mac and uh, that's your Medicare administrative contractor and you will do the enrollment by phone. It will take you about 50 to 60 minutes to do that. And while you're on the phone, you should then get a email or a fax with your provider transaction access number. We call it the PTAN. And then that will be your number to submit claims. Now, as a roster biller, you have to submit five vaccinations for people at a time. So you should be moving conceivably that many people through. I know yesterday here in my home system, we inoculated a hundred, uh, listen, a thousand people. Um, so they move rather quickly, uh, but you do have to be approved. Now, what we don't know yet, some of the unknowns. We do not know yet what kind of documentation is going to be required. So we're going to have to take a look at that. I do know at least one EPCR solution that is ramping up a report to go into the EPCR um, similar to a, a run sheet. And hopefully we, as your billing company, will be able to import that just like we do your ambulance runs. Those are the unknowns. The other unknowns are will software packages that you may use to bill be able to handle this. We're studying that right now. We'll have a solution here at QuickMed Claims. Um, but if you're doing your own billing, 
uh, or you're working with another billing company, we hope that you'll first give us a call, tongue in cheek, haha, sales guy in me, or you will grill your billing company to come up with a solution. So we, we, we like that. Put the heat on them. That's okay. Um, no, I'm, I'm joking, guys. But seriously, um, that is a step you got to take because can you do it? Um, you could also, there's a PC, Ace software. Uh, I've used that animal. I find it terribly, it's a government piece of software. So good luck. Uh, it's not very fun to use. So um, you probably want somebody to do that with you. And then even your remittance advice coming back. So now you get electronic remittance advice, I hope, or you get an EOB back with your paper check. Uh, that has to be posted. These payments will come separately because it's a different type of provider. Um, so you got to think about what kind of man hours you're going to have back at your station. Are your billing staff, if you have an in-house program, are they going to be able to handle this? Um, Will you be able to handle the reporting requirements on the back end? You got to think, guys, this is just going to be like narcotic storage. It's that important to the government to know where these VACs are going. They're paying for all this. So the reporting is going to be online, but it's going to be extensive. And you're going to have to have all that information about who you gave it to, um, when you gave it, you know, um, what was it first or second. And, and there's even different coding. There's different code for... Uh, Pfizer first one, Pfizer second one. There's a different coding for what just approved yesterday, Moderna first, Moderna second. We fully anticipate in January that we're going to have a Johnson & Johnson solution as well. And then as we move on, I would suspect that we'll have codes for re-inoculations. Um, so again, this gets into the weeds. But I really think, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are listening, take a big step back and ask yourself, can I do this? You know, where am I going to do it? Do I have the facilities? Do I have the capability? Do I have the manpower? Do I have the administrative staff to monitor this thing? And will this pay to do it? Or is it going to be at best a break even? Or is it going to be that I'm operating at a loss? Now, what we do know is that Medicare fee for service is going to pay these claims. So even those recipients, those beneficiaries who have a Medicare Advantage plan, Medicare Part C, Medicare fee-for-service is going to pay for the Medicare. Our assumption is, we don't know yet, that the um, commercial insurances are going to pay similar to Medicare. I started seeing yesterday, because I monitor dozens of state Medicaid uh, listservs as part of my job function here at QMC, um, that Medicaid programs in at least two states I saw are going to pay the Medicaid rate. Uh, I'm sorry, they're gonna, Medicaid's gonna pay it. They're gonna pay the Medicare rate. So they're gonna fall in line with the Medicare rate. Um, I can also tell you that people who are uninsured that receive the vaccine, truly uninsured people are not to be billed, even for the administration. Now we can bill the uninsured patient payment program. If you have not enrolled in that, that's an animal all to its own. Let me tell you, that's not, it's not been an easy process navigating, but we figured it out. Um, but are you going to be able to do that? Or are you going to take a bath? Because are those funds going to run out? We don't know in this next line of funding, whether they're going to refund that uninsured program. That was a dollar amount of funding that will end. Um, I have a feeling that'll be refunded but we don't know that. So you got to consider that a segment of those people that you're considering that you'll be vaccinating 
may not be insured and there's not a thing you're going to be able to do to collect any money from that that patient. So there's a lot of things for you guys to consider. Uh, I know all of us want this over. So I, you know, this is the way I feel as an EMS provider. The minute I got the word on that, I was like, where do I get it? I couldn't wait. And then on top of it, I'm thinking, how can I be part of the picture to get this thing rolled out quickly? That's our inclination. That's what we do. You know, uh, the active 911 goes off on our phones and we're out the door. So our natural inclination, ladies and gentlemen, is we want to run out the door and start vaccinating everyone. I get that, but <laughs> don't get into something that's going to cause you stress on the back end. The last thing you need right now is additional stress to both your people and your organization. So go at it with gusto if you have the, the ability to do it. You know, make it happen. And we here at QMC will help you make it happen. Don't go at it so gusto if you're already struggling to meet the obligation that you already have on the street. Because that obviously is our first and foremost mission. So, um, uh, you know what, guys? Um, I, I'm, I, I'm in awe of what everybody's doing up to this point. The fact that we're even considering this in the EMS community is talk about an above and beyond for us. And I mean, for others too, well, you know, um, I'm taking nothing away from ER docs and nurses and ICU people. And, you know, let's face it, this is, um, I never thought I'd see anything like this in my lifetime, but it is here. We got to deal with it. The end is near. I love that there's a light at the end of the tunnel here, guys, because I don't know about you guys, but I felt like I've been in complete dark without a flashlight trying to find my way to the door. And it's not been a fun time, but this is the beginning of the end. We hope. Um, the other thing I'll say folks is that um, don't let your guard down, be safe right now. You know, like, and I know Christmas is coming. Um, my kids and I did a zoom last week and Christmas is going to look a whole lot different for us than I'm normally used to. And that just pains me, but you know what guys hang on a little longer face masks, washing your hands, staying socially distant. I know it's tough, but um, especially in the field, you know, don't, don't let your guard down for a minute because not, I do not want to hear of one more EMS uh, responder. And there's been at least two uh, right within a driving distance of me that have succumbed to this thing. So this is real. It is what it is. And uh, let's all stay safe. So that guys, that's, that's what I got for now. Yeah, good points, Chuck. Um, just a just a question for you, maybe more of a comment. Uh, do you think that you know, in spite of all the terrible, terrible things that have occurred with COVID nineteen, you know, and it seems like the circle the circle is getting tighter. Uh, used to be able to go outside and say, "Well, I uh, I know a, a friend of a friend of a friend who knows somebody that has tested positive." Now you can just literally step outside your front door and point across the street or up and down your street to your neighbor. And so, you know, the pandemic's still raging out there. But on the bright side, do, you, do either of you guys think this has really created a, a heightened awareness of the value that emergency medical services brings to a community? I mean, we talked earlier this year about the telehealth thing. You know, now we're talking about, hey, we need you guys to serve as you know, mass immunizers, um, you know, maybe we're evolving from the quote unquote ambulance drivers era and recognizing us as healthcare professionals and somebody who truly does serve. 
So, I mean, I'd like to get your input on that because I know I personally feel that it's changed, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, my medical director will tell you that this is as big as Johnny and Roy running around in squad 51. That this has hastened the pace for us to become truly healthcare providers and not transporters. And, 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 you know, we're, we're seeing that, you know, I, I went a month and a half ago, went through a full training on how to use some amazing telehealth equipment in the field, otoscope, stethoscope, that the doctor can hear lung sounds, heart sounds, um, camera that I can zoom in, take stills. You know, I, I, I would have never, you know, it's Star Trek stuff, guys. You know, like seriously, like when I was a kid, you, you know, Scotty would run that thing over and diagnose someone. We're living that. It's incredible. You know, like uh, that, that we can connect with a doc. Um, in our system, we're going to place a doc in the dispatch center and he's going to make decisions on system status readiness and what vehicle we, whether we send an MIH squad out or we send a transport truck out. Um, we're transporting uh, to, urgent care centers and clinics and rehab facilities. We have a client up in New England that we serve that um, is sending out a mental health professional for all overdoses and talking people into getting help uh, rather than transporting the ER and overloading that. Um, I think, you know, the, the, I don't know if you guys saw, but the NBC news um, piece uh, about two weeks ago on EMS and uh, how we're pushed to the limit um, awareness like we've never had before. And, and that's just going to grow. I, 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 the um, amount of telehealth um, interactions this year alone has like just off the charts. You know, it was like, I don't know, 50,000 last year. And it's like millions this year. It's, it's incredible. You know, uh, we've gone from zero to 60 out of necessity. And I, how, how do you see that not? I don't think we're going to retreat. We've learned we can do it. Right. I think that's the key, Chuck, is, you know, we're, we're learning a lot of different things about healthcare and how it can be delivered, you know, in our world, in the emergency response world, and even, you know, in the outpatient world for, for primary care providers and whatnot. So I, you know, I, you know, a lot of folks have lost their lives and, and you certainly can't, you know, it's impacted, like you said, people across the street and down the road. Um, but, you know, we, we're a learning entity, a learning profession. And, and thank goodness for that, because I think, you know, healthcare is going to look different moving forward, hopefully in, in a lot of good ways uh, because of this thing. And uh, there, you know, we have to, but the key is we have to take advantage of those things that we've learned, right. Moving forward. That's a good point. Very good point. Well, Chuck, thank you for that insight. I appreciate it. It was uh, very informative and helpful. And I, uh, I know there's a lot of confusion out there and, uh, so hopefully you clarified some of that. And I think the word we always continue to use all is this is very fluid and things can change with this. So folks, uh, keep your ear close to the ground on this and because things do change and probably will change uh, as this uh, whole vaccine process evolves. Hey, Ed, um, if you could, can you just touch base with us on this uh, compromise that we're hearing out there, especially, I know this affects more of the air medical market than it does the ground, but I think ground's going to be drawn into us from what I've read so far and what I've also heard from you from time to time. So um, can you just give us a real quick overview? I'd appreciate it. 
Yeah, sure. Absolutely, G. And boy, fluid with a capital F, right? That certainly applies here. So many of you who are regular listeners to the podcast have heard us talk about surprise medical billing and balanced bills. And this is a, an issue that's you know several years old in healthcare, and it's not unique just to transport. It also applies uh, to, for example, in a, in a large measure to the hospital emergency department environment as well. And the idea is that if you're if you're a patient and you go to seek care, whether you're calling 911 or you're going to the local emergency department or what have you, um, and you don't happen to realize that the provider you've selected is out of network with your insurance, you are likely to get a bill for the difference between your insurance company's in-network rate and the provider or supplier of care, their full charges. And in some areas and with certain types of service, those are astronomical numbers. And Gary alluded to the fact that this is something that's, that's an air medical issue. And certainly air medical transport hit the front page news on this a couple of years ago. And the reason is because those balanced bills are in the tens of thousands of dollars uh, when it comes to the difference between the charges and the in-network rate. So um, in fact, today is sort of, uh, today is really, um, a, a watershed day, as you probably are aware, if you've been following the news at all, um, as we record this session on, uh, on December 18th, um, Congress is meeting in Washington to address um, the funding to keep government going. Um, certainly the stimulus money that Chuck alluded to a little bit earlier in the, in the presentation today. And uh, one of the other things that's been tagged on to all that is a resolution to this historic issue of surprise medical bills and balanced billing. So um, the act is called the No Surprises Act. And there's a, a couple of provisions that are worth noting. First of all, the act is in its current format as it's being considered today includes patient protection. So it holds harmless from surprise medical bills, patients who are out there. And, and most of you know um, that, that in many cases, um, the patient gets caught in the middle on this thing between the insurance company and the provider supplier. And so one of the key provisions is that other than the normal cost sharing expectations, co-pays, what sometimes we refer to those things as co-pays and deductibles, um, the patient will not have any, any further out-of-pocket exposure for um, services delivered by an out-of-network provider. The second thing is it prohibits the providers and suppliers um, um, who are um, out of network uh, from billing the full charges or expecting reimbursement on the full charges unless they've gotten 72 hours in advance, at least 72 hours in advance, notification that their supplier is indeed out of network and a cost estimate. So think about how impractical this is in our world with EMS and air medical transport, particularly uh, emergent air medical transport, which is the lion's share of the helicopter work that's out there in the country. You know, fixed wing's a little bit different. Sometimes the fixed wing providers are in the queue. It's someone who's on the transplant list and they may, you know, have uh, a few weeks to, to vet these things and provide cost estimates and things. But certainly in an emergency helicopter basis and ground service basis, um, this is not um, something that will uh, be practical to apply. The third piece is um, a, a, a direction around dispute resolution. And again, those of you who are our clients know that we talk to you about this all the time. There are certain payers that won't talk to us on behalf of you or the patient because we're not the patient or the patient's family. And so we find ourselves frequently in the situation where 
uh, we've got to engage our patients um, to help us maneuver the process with their insurance company. So one of the things that's pretty clear about this is the dispute resolution process is going to try and take uh, the patients out of the middle and try and make it a situation where the suppliers and the insurance companies are going to work through this, whether that's pre predetermined upfront where we negotiate a rate. In other words, the providers and suppliers go in network and have a good faith negotiation with the insurer or after the fact when it comes to what the insurance company is going to pay. So how's that going to be resolved? Well, the act provides for uh, an independent dispute resolution process um, or an IDR. I mean, we're big on acronyms, right? So an IDR, and that IDR is going to be facilitated by an independent third-party arbiter, which has no connection to either insurance or to the provider-supplier side of the industry. Um, now, it doesn't mean they may not have some healthcare expertise, but certainly um, they're not going to come from one side of the aisle or the other. The other thing that's a little bit concerning, um, and by the way, this is a baseball type arbitration. So those of you, like uh, Gary's a huge baseball fan, right? You know how that goes, right? If I'm the, the league leading uh, shortstop in terms of gold glove and, and batting average and my contract's up, my, I, I see this picture of my agent sliding a little piece of paper across the desk with a number on it. And of course the guys on the other side are gonna look at that and write a different number on it, right? And we're gonna see if we can meet in the middle. Well, that's what this process is all about. The providers and suppliers are going to, going to submit a number and the insurance companies are going to submit a number. And then this third party arbiter is going to make a decision of which of those numbers is the right number. So there is some guidance in the, in the legislation. Uh, one, it calls for them to look at the median in-network rate. So this is already a little bit scary for most people on a provider supplier side because that in-network rate is never charges. I mean, when you negotiate an agreement with an insurance company, it's always something less than your charges. And in some cases, for a variety of reasons, not necessarily anybody's fault, some providers and suppliers have not been really aggressive about negotiating. Look, if you're in a situation where it's very competitive and, and you know that they're not going to call your ambulance or, or helicopter, if you're not in network, then you're obligated almost to, to be in network. And as long as you're not losing money on each and every transport, you're gonna probably take whatever number. Now, as we all know, and the folks who listen to us religiously, you know, there's this thing called cost shifting that goes on and we don't get paid nearly enough in EMS and transport from Medicare and Medicaid to make ends meet. We have to get a little more than our costs on the commercial side in order to be able to fund all the free care that we provide and all the care we provide to government insured folks. And so this really, when we start talking about that median in-network rate, it can really create a problem for us to be able to continue to survive as entities and organizations in healthcare delivery. So that's number one. Number two, um, it, it, there are some specific rules around the time frame, And so 90 days um, is noted in the legislation. And once we've submitted some claims for arbitration with a particular, between a particular supplier and, and um, an insurance company, then... For 90 days, we can't, we can't submit any other one. So we've got to sort of, this process is going to be a little bit, um, uh, it's, going to, it's going to add to the time it takes for us to get paid for the work that we do. Uh, the other thing, uh, there's a couple other provisions in the legislation. Just wanted to mention quickly, there are some additional consumer protections. Um, and that's really geared around situations where um, the insurance companies are changing their networks around. So let's say, um, you know, uh, I'm uh, uh, Johnson Ambulance Service and uh, I'm in network 
and uh, Smith Ambulance Service approaches the insurance company and says, we're going to cut a better deal. We don't think you should be using those Johnson guys. We're going to do it for 20% less. And I switch, right? And the patient gets caught in the crossfire in the middle because for the last couple of years, they've been transported by Johnson Ambulance. Now all of a sudden, they don't realize that it's switched to Smith and they end up with a bill. So there are some consumer protections that allow the patients and their families um, to, to raise these issues when they happen. There's a couple other things that are worth noting. Two other things. One is it, the act calls for provision or, or um, uh, standing up of an advisory committee to look at air ambulance billing. And it's interesting, you may be aware now that the Air Ambulance Patient Billing Advisory Committee through the U.S. Department of Transportation currently exists on the air medical side. And the reason why that is the case is because the Department of Transportation governs a fair amount of air medical transport because of the Airline Deregulation Act. But this particular act calls for the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Labor and Treasury to come together and form an Air Ambulance Advisory Committee. And they, a couple things that are, that are going to come out of that, at least that are specifically called for in the act. One is submission of costs on the part of air ambulance providers for the last two years and claim data by the insurance companies. And then this committee is supposed to issue a report, and there are some specific timelines in the legislation, and it's not that far off. We're talking about in 2022, reports to be issued around cost and claims, so payments and the cost side and try and put those two together and figure out where the gap is if there is a gap. And we know there's a gap from our experience around the industry. So again, the Air Ambulance Patient Advisory Committee is reconvening, the full committee will be reconvening um, and getting the recommendations from the subcommittees that have been weighing in. And as you know, QuickMed has participated uh, in, uh, in the full committee and subcommittees for since almost the beginning and provided a fair amount of input on behalf of sort of the industry side, you know, the provider and supplier side. But the other thing that, that I think a lot of folks have overlooked is the act also calls for those same departments, labor, health and human services and treasury to stand up a ground ambulance billing advisory committee. Now the cost data reporting piece is already in place for us, right? We're, although it's been delayed because of COVID, that obligation already exists. And, and presumably once the COVID situation settles down a little bit, the ambulance cost data reporting will, will get back live again, and that process will roll forward over the next four or five years to get some good data. But I have a little bit of a nervousness, sphincter tone, as we say in the industry, <laughs> around the fact that there's going to be now another advisory committee looking at ground ambulance billing as well as air ambulance billing. And uh, we have to be vigilant. Uh, my message to you today is be vigilant, as Chuck always talks about our associations being active in your professional association to keep track of what's going on and be a part of the process. We don't want this done to us. We want it done with us. So uh, those are the main provisions as it stands today. Uh, we'll probably know later today or, or maybe on Monday um, how this thing gets through Congress. You know, you never want to see how the sausage is made. So there could be some last minute changes. But as we sit here today, those are the key elements of the bill. Um, I think it stands a good, a good uh, chance of passing. This is an issue that's been kicked down. The, the can's been kicked down the road enough times now. And not that the provider and suppliers aren't excited about um, getting some resolution. We have a number of issues that, um, that revolve around this, our relations with our patients and families and other things. You know, getting into good faith negotiations with insurance companies is something that we struggle with all the time on behalf of our clients, and they do as well. Uh, we could tell you some, some interesting horror stories about that. So hopefully there'll be some plus side to this thing. 
but there's certainly a lot to be concerned about and to monitor as things move forward. Well, thanks, Ed. Much to digest there. And again, the key word here is fluid. Uh, so pay attention, folks. Uh, again, especially those of you in the air medical industry, but hey, uh, those of you who spend the time on the ground, uh, you definitely need to keep your eyes open. No question about it. So thanks again. Appreciate it. And Chuck, thanks to you on the on the COVID vaccine information. Yeah. But hey, uh, let's, uh, let's have a little fun here. Uh, and uh, I'm hearing through the grapevine, Chuck, that uh, you may want to give me the word of the day since I'm always the initiator in most cases. So uh, you, um, uh, you want to try your luck, pal? Go ahead. Give it your best shot. Okay. All right. We'll so see what happens back. here. All right, get a piece of paper. You're going to need Is it that long. It's a, I need a piece of paper to write down one word. <laughs> yep. Because yep. so. you're going to want to break this down. Okay. So it is anosognosia. Anosognosia. A-N-O-S-O-G-N-O-S-I-A. And this is something we deal with in the field. Wow, that's that, Chuck. I can. You want me to put an EMS flavor to something I can't even spell? All right. Um, anosagnosia. Anosagnosia. I used to go to a bakery called Stagnos. I don't know if that's, this is derivative <laughs> of that. No, no, maybe not. All right. Anosagnosia. Um, I think the easy way would be to say we arrived to see a 54-year-old male uh, with shortness of breath uh, and uh, anastagnosia in his left arm, left lung, left lung. There we go. Oh, boy. Um, well. No, don't yeah. give it to him. Don't give it to him. No, no he did. He's way off. I was. I, I had to be close. It was. I had the SIA. That's got to be something. He's in medically. A decent, he's in a decent ballpark. Let's put it that way. Okay. Wow. So anosognosia is the inability or refusal to recognize a defect or a disorder that is clinically evident. So, for example, the woman who fell in the ice after the snowstorm who has a broken arm and her family calls the ambulance and you arrive and she goes, I don't need you. My arm's not broken. It just hurts. I just need to keep it propped up for a couple of days. Now I've been there. I've had that. We all have. Yeah. This week. <laughs> uh, or it would be someone who's paralyzed in a limb or has numbness or tingling and says, um, no, there's there's nothing wrong. Or that guy who's taken an MI who said, ah, I just had, you know, I had Taco Bell the, half an hour ago and it's just indigestion. Chuck, did you get this out of like a medical dictionary? <laughs> like that's not in Webby's. Yeah, right. It is in Webster's Dictionary. I don't know. You know, <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you, like every time you do it, I feel like I need to disqualify you because you always have some kind of string attached it's to it. Like Miriam Webster dot com dictionary. I'm oh, my you. goodness. He was up late last night, leafing through trying to find the words anyway. Right. Exactly. All right, Chuck. OK, wonderful. We gave you your chance. I failed. All right. Hey, Ed, you want to try one with Chuck? And I encourage you to hit him hard. 
Oh, I do. But you know what, Chuck? I'm going to give you a hint. This was actually the word of the day on December 12th of 2020. Wow. This is a current one. So if you've been keeping up on your word of the day, don't Google that, by the way. Last week, yes. Keep your fingers up, Chuck. I'm lucky if I know my own name. That's the only word I know right now. (laughs) All right. Your word is antediluvian. Antediluvian. Yep. You got an engine on fire and you're losing altitude, buddy. (laughs) Um. Oh, now this is I, I gave you a little bit easy one. I'm in the Christmas spirit. You can break this down. I think you can do it. Yeah, come on, Chuck. Deluvian. Um Anostagnosia. Yeah, come <laughs> on, Chuck. The crew was hesitant to have the Christmas party because they wanted to be in a deluvian social distance. Oh my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> Where in the world did you pull that out of? My goodness. That's terrible. What hat? Unbelievable. Oh, gosh. Go ahead, Ed. How badly did he fail? He was off the mark quite a bit on this. <laughs> he wasn't even in the ballpark. He wasn't in the ballpark. But, you know, this is a tough one. And and actually very appropriate uh, uh, for the three of us on this call when you hear what it is. So it's an adjective, and it's of or relating to the period before the flood described in the Bible. Oh. Made, evolved, or developed a long time ago. Or extremely primitive or outmoded. So, Chuck, Ed, and Gary, <laughs> Chuck, Ed, and Gary only two of us retain their antediluvian EMS certification. People in the field. They're calling us the antediluvian triplets. I, I run with a guy who is similar in my age, and we call ourselves the geriatric crew. Everybody calls us the geriatric oh. crew. Now uh, you can change that to anti-diluvian. anti-diluvian. Yep, the there you go. Diluvian. So very good, Ed. Way to stump them. I appreciate that. So uh, I appreciate you guys doing this. So anyway, hey, anybody have any news or highlights from out there? Anything uh, you got, got one of shout outs? Ed, do you have? Go ahead. I do. Actually, this is a great one. And so uh, a gentleman walking down the street, this was in Texas, looked up, he was walking his dog, looked up and had a panic. He saw a guy hanging from the gutter down the street from his house and, of course, hit his cell phone right away and called 911. And the fire department and EMS arrived only to find that his neighbor down the street <laughs> was trying desperately to win the neighborhood Christmas decorating contest. And had actually put a life-size dummy of Chevy Chase from the old National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation movie on his gutter for the competition. (laughs) 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 To say the mannequin was rescued without incident and (laughs) injury occurred. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Chuck, you're up. Uh, well, I have a funny one. In the spirit of the, the uh, Christmas season, <clears throat> um, this text was captured by a crew member uh, from another crew member that texted back to the station with this. We just transported a woman to the hospital intoxicated from drinking several bottles of vanilla extract. Makes me want to bake cookies. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have a companion here. 
Um, this came over the CAD. <laughs> Head injury fell off a lion. Lion? Imagine responding to that. Yes. A lion. L-I-O-N. As an African lion. lion. As an African lion. Yes. And then the last one to close out this little section was the alpha pager screen print showing this. Did someone just fart into the microphone? <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. I well, can see that happening. Oh, those are great. Uh, you mind if I tag? I got one, guys. You got this sure. one? All right. So I've actually titled this after reading it, Man's Best Friend. So here we go. Uh, and believe it or not, I can actually re- relate well to part of this story because I've had a bad experience uh, with a roof and a ladder at my house uh, a number of years ago. And thankfully, I wasn't injured, but it was a heck of a plummet. Uh, so anyway, so in August of this year, this comes to us from Sudbury, Ontario, Canada. Uh, so in August of this year, a 52 year old gentleman decided it was time to clean his gutters and remove small branches that fell on his roof during a recent heavy rainstorm. After walking on his roof for a period of 10 minutes, removing debris, he begins his descent down the ladder from his two-story brick home. On the second or third step, his foot becomes entangled in the rope. I guess it's the rope that uh, you extend the ladder with. And somehow it entangles his ankle and it inverts him. Now, have this picture guys this guy's head is now facing down it's the it's 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 on the south end it's going to come into contact with mother earth first and his legs are above him um so at this point um the ladder has also become somewhat unstable but remains against the side of the home sure uh so while he tried very gingerly to right himself um he knew any abrupt movement would cause the ladder to fall with him uh, entangled within. So, um, after dangling an object, uh, like a, uh, like being on a Christmas tree for a period of about 15, 20 minutes, he finally hears relief in sight. He hears the sound of a car coming down his driveway, uh, and help is hopefully on the way. And this is his wife actually returning from shopping. So, uh, he was in the back of the house. The driveway's in the front of the house. So the wife comes in, not knowing he's stuck on the ladder in the back, apparently, uh, so what she do as she comes into the house, she lets out the family dog that happens to be a Rottweiler to mm-hmm. do his business. So the, uh, the Rottweiler comes out flying out the door as those big dogs can runs down around the back and Hey, what's he spy? He spies dad on the ladder upside down. So like any good dog, he goes over to inspect and what's he do? He takes his 115 pound body and places it his front paws on the on the uh, bottom rungs of the ladder to say hey dad what are you doing and guess what happens oh. <laughs> uh, so just for the record the dog survived dad had a broken elbow and concussion when he hit the sidewalk <laughs> oh, oh, wow. oh, no. oh my goodness oh. hey let me oh. tell you folks that's a long ride to the ground when you're on oh. that ladder i can, yeah. I can definitely attest to that so Thankfully for me, I had a strong bush. This guy had a cement sidewalk. My daughter daughter has a new puppy, and he's part part border collie and part lab. He's all ears, and he hops. So he gets out in the snow, and she showed pictures. He's just like a rabbit going up (laughs) over the snow. And all you saw was ears flapping. That's pretty funny stuff. (laughs) Really funny. 
Well, listen, guys, we've come to the end of our uh, episode and we thank all of you who continue to join us. Well, I'm not sure why, but you continue to join us. We appreciate that. And uh, thank you so much. Uh, we uh, have some great information on our podcast, and it's always a delight when we see so many downloads of EM2 as well as all our, our podcast episodes. So feel free to check us out on Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. We're on all of them. Just go ahead and search for EMS board and caller. Uh, you'll find us with no problem whatsoever. We have about 140 plus episodes on there covering all different aspects of the emergency medical service industry. So, so check it out at, at any time. But uh, in closing, and I'm going to let everybody kind of jump in here. I just wanted to, to say once again, um, I think Ed mentioned earlier that you know, 2020, what, what should we expect? All this madness, all this craziness. And it looks like we're going to just continue on into, into 21. But thankfully, because of the vaccine, um, it's our hope that things will get better. But to all of you who truly do serve at the front of the front lines, and again, no disrespect to the wonderful uh, healthcare teams uh, at our nation's hospitals around the, around the country. So thank you for that. But you folks who are in the emergency medical services, uh, you're out there uh, before these patients get to the hospital in many cases. And uh, my hat's off to you, having walked in your shoes years ago. Um, I don't know how I could do that, what you're doing right now. So uh, my thanks, my prayers, and my wishes for a better 2021 and a safe and happy holiday season. Ed? Yeah, Garrett, couldn't have said it better myself. And, and we certainly appreciate from our vantage point the important work that you do. And, and our team, um, as you know, uh, feels very, very, um, feels that burden with you of trying to do all we can to support um, the good work that you're doing out there with patients and families. And on a personal note, um, to you gentlemen, it's it's a, always a pleasure to be with you and uh, it's a privilege. And as we move out of 2020, thank goodness, and move forward into 2021, I am uh, delighted to be a part of the anti-Diluvian crowd. <laughs> <laughs> with you guys. So Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's to you and your families and everyone who's listening out there. Um, we love being with you. Thanks, yeah, you Ed. know, guys, this is um, this isn't a job. This is just fun. <laughs> and it's because not only do we get to share it together, but um, because we know who we're serving. And I don't know about you guys, but, you know, like I've been in EMS all my life, but this past year, um, working in EMS billing with this company and knowing what we're doing to support what's going on out there. There's such a sense of accomplishment that I have and nothing that I've done myself, but simply because we're part of the equation of what those guys and gals are doing out there. Look, I'm still in the field, but I'm in the field a Saturday every now and then. Uh, I, I don't even, I don't even deserve to take credit for that. You know, there are young people out there, that are doing this every day and sometimes two and three jobs because the industry still hasn't figured out how to pay these people what they're worth. And, um, and that's no slam to anybody other than the government needs to figure out whether EMS is actually important or not once and for all. And until that happens, none of us will be able to operate any differently than what we are. Uh, but I, my hats are, um, I just can't even express how much I appreciate Every time my active 911 goes off, seeing another COVID positive and thinking, who's on that truck? I'll actually go look who's on the truck because I want to know who's potentially 
at risk and say a little prayer under my breath and, you know, just protect them. So guys and girls, you know, do the best to have the best holiday you can. Um, don't let your guard down yet. We're close. Stay safe. Um, consider uh, all of the ins and outs of getting that vaccine. Uh, weigh it hard and long, but protect yourself in any manner that you can. And and um, uh, wish you wish you guys, uh, wish everyone out there just the best of holidays that we can conjure up in this ridiculously strange year that we just had. That's for sure. Sure. Well stated, both of you. Thank you. And um, again, Chuck, I'll echo uh, both of your sentiments by many sending my thanks to both of you. We've done many of these episodes. We've done 140 podcasts out there and in just over a year's time. And uh, it's it's always something I look forward to when I see it on my, uh, my Outlook calendar in the morning. And uh, so it brings a bright spot to sometimes tough days in the world we're living in. So thank you both. And uh, to all our listeners, keep listening. We've got more coming to you in 2021. And hopefully we'll have some sunshine to bring along the way as well, too. So, uh, again, my thanks to my colleagues. Thanks to all of you for attending. And, hey, be safe out out there. there.